This episode of Promised Land uses audio clips that contain language and subject matter that are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. I've never lied to you. Your Bible is full of lies. Your sky god makes no sense. If he was all perfect, why don't he come down and do something? If he can heal everybody in a minute, why doesn't he heal them all? Why do he make all these different races to fight and to kill? Why does he bring some into the world born blind? America, 1973. Christian America. Jehovah's America. Bible America, 1973. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain by following me. Why don't you deny yourself? Why don't you deny yourself? Why don't you say yes to this cause and no to that slave system? I thank you. I thank you. I thank you because my words are spirit and my words are life. This is a revolution that will heal you. This is a father that will save you. This is one that will shepherd you through every storm. The People's Temple had many things to offer members, including a college education. The temple would pay for all tuition and provided housing for students. Students were expected to keep their grades up and give back to the temple in any way they were asked. Occasionally, a student would leave the temple and Jones wouldn't see it as such a big deal, depending on their status in the temple and if they had family who were also members. Jim Cobb was a different story. He noticed that though Jim Jones preached equality for all, that temple leadership was all white and was also unhappy with the amount of sex that was going on in leadership when it was frowned upon in the temple. The Cobb family had been members of the People's Temple since Indianapolis and were considered an asset in Jones's eyes. Cobb found seven other temple members who felt the same as he did and they decided to take matters into their own hands. So in the fall of 1973, he and seven others gathered their belongings and left the letter behind explaining the reasoning for leaving the temple. We've narrowed down the letter to give you a basic idea without making the entire episode on the letter. It covers a lot of good points that we wanted to address. Here's a shortened version of the Gang of Eight letter. Quote, Jim. It is the purpose of this letter to explain why the following eight of us quit People's Temple. 1. John Bidolf 2. Walter Wayne Pitilla 3. Vera Bidolf 4. Mickey Touche 5. Lena M. Flowers 6. Tom Pagorski 7. Terry Pitella 8. Jim Cobb To put it in one word, staff. The fact is, the eight of us have seen a grotesque amount of sickness displayed by the staff. The ridiculous double standard and dishonesty that's practice does not agree with us. Before we explain ourselves further, let us say that our departure has nothing to do with you. To us, you're the finest socialist and leader this earth has ever seen. We plan to contact you, and if you see fit, work with you, not staff. 
We have nothing to say or to with staff. Proceeding, a revolutionary, as you and staff would say, does not engage in sex. Anyone with any awareness concerning socialism would give up sex. The reasons for giving up sex are agreeable with us. However, who takes the privileged liberty to abuse such a decision? Staff, Carolyn Layton, Sandy Ingram, Karen Layton, Grace Stone, Janet Phillips, etc. has to be fucked in order to be loyal. Jack Beam Sr., Tim Stone, Mike Prokes, etc. has to be fucked in the butt for the same reason. Who has to do it to them but Jim Jones? The thought of demanding your sensitivity and dedication in such a manner is grossly sick. There are other staff that's taken advantage likewise, however, the above is sufficient. The eight of us feel if loyalty has to be achieved through such double standard measures, then loyalty will never be achieved. At most, a temporary secrecy will be kept, not loyalty or the spirit of socialism. Jim, many times in the past, you've said that money didn't talk in the socialist family. Presently, it seems that everyone with money has been put on special projects and staff. It is known in People's Temple that Helen Sweeney isn't to be messed with. She brings in a lot of money for the church, so she's left alone, in spite of the fact she's a racist through and through. When Helen meets People's Temple's black members downtown or in public eye, she ignores them. We're not speaking of outside the ranks black people. We're speaking of People's Temple's black members. We have many testimonies to this fact. These people are both black and white, mainly black. It was staff that said, quote, don't talk about Helen Sweeney unless you can bring in as much money. This is a cruel and sick thing to say to poor white and black people that will never have the opportunity Helen had. Two, it has a stinking capitalist overtone with no socialist concern. It's true Helen has a lot of money, does what she wants, and enjoys a condescending capitalist position. You said that the revolutionary focal point at present is in the black people. There is no potential in the white population, according to you. Yet where is the black leadership? Where is the black staff and black attitude? Black people are being tapped for money, practically nothing else. On what grounds is staff chosen? Does it mean anything or warrant respect or camaraderie if a black person proves loyal to the people's temple? As long as seven, eight, nine, ten years, there are black people's temple members who have proven themselves through the years. They still participate in people's temple from the same capacities when they joined. On the other hand, there are those who become members of staff after four, five, six, seven, eight meetings. Mike Prokes, Annie Moore, Terry Buford, Gene Chaikin, etc. are examples. How much do they know about socialism? It's impossible to know what's necessary concerning socialism the way they were introduced to it. How is it justified that new white people achieve such staff positions? New white upper middle class put in charge of a socialist movement. New white middle class folk seem to be trusted and treated better than black folk who have proven their loyalties through the years. Why are there no black men or women with a revolutionary attitude coming into the people's temple? 
for the past six years all staff have concerned with themselves have been the castrating of people calling them homosexual sex 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 what about socialism why isn't it a top priority if you say it is how does 99.5% of People's Temple manage to know zero about socialism? There's no revolutionary teachings being taught the way it used to. At one time you told us to read, yet staff came in the night to steal books from those who had them. Tim Stone and other people are told not to read about socialism. Most of us were told this also. Why? To regress a bit, it is our feeling that the staff have wiped out progressive and revolutionary thought. People's temple members are expecting to enter a cave or go to some isolated part of another country. The bomb falls, they emerge, and pow, paradise. This would never be the state of mind if the realism of supporting and believing in socialism were understood. With this, we feel some of us were kept from staff by staff because our ideals were too progressive and black. Anybody with a mind to be active concerning socialism is put down, called a queer, and big revolutionary in a degrading manner. Why? We know you have far too much on you and have to rely on staff for facts and etc. This puts you in a vulnerable position because staff lies and their personal prejudices are given to you instead of fact. We've witnessed it as well as experienced it. How can one judge or be objective about saying something they fear? The staff being uppity white folk fear blackness. They fear what some of us had to offer. They fear the consequences of a do it now philosophy. They fear action. We're told we're not ready. We need more money. We have to be closer. Well, People's Temple is a multi-million dollar church and there's nothing being done to bring people closer. Hugging each other in services will not do it. Male chauvinism is used every other word. When this world is in the condition it's in, why be trivial? Of course, male chauvinism exists. However, it's overemphasized. The male population at People's Temple have been saturated with the word and with people that use it. Again, staff is responsible they set the example. Planning Commission was created to handle emergencies, to plan directions before fascism came, to plan what to do in case you, Jim Jones, was put in prison. What a laugh. All Planning Commission does is call each other homosexual, asking if each other suck cock, planning to plant dope on people like Dan Pitella. What a contribution to socialism. Why be so trivial? The fact is, when Jim Jones is put in prison, staff will not do shit. You will rot and die in prison with no help, support, or action from staff. It was discussed in one of the staff meetings. If you were killed, it should appear you went away on a mission. This would keep people happy. What does this mean? It means that nothing will be done about your death. This is similar to what happened to Golden Rule. When their silly ass lady died, they collapsed. Look at them now. Jim, if you're imprisoned or killed, we guarantee that a few people will not sit still. It was you that made life meaningful. It was you that introduced socialism to us. It's you that's carrying all the weight in this revolution. We're grateful. 
The eight of us believe in historical materialism. We feel that you came to the people, giving them the greatest reason to live, the greatest reason to die, the greatest reason to fight, socialism. We have another name for it. However, you can't do it all. You can't move unless your followers realize the necessity to shape history themselves. This is again where staff has failed. They are to the most part white egotistical people maintaining a hierarchy, not allowing you to take your reins and go full steam ahead, holding you back, saying it's not time, having to be fucked, degrading people, especially if they have a little knowledge about socialism. All this leads us to is the conclusion, the staff is chicken shit. There's a point where you have to be cautious and compromise, yet there is a limit. We will not talk against people's temple to anyone, because of you and a few innocent people may be hurt. You're the one that showed us the way. You're the one that boldly challenged capitalism and put a vision in our hearts. You're the one that proved us that nothing is impossible. This is exactly how we feel. Nothing is impossible. A lot more could be said. We have a million things that could be said, but it's not necessary. Like we said earlier, we will contact you and wish to talk with you. And if you see fit, work with you. We want it known by you and staff that we don't believe in religion. We don't believe in God. We don't believe in reincarnation. We don't believe in impossible. We are not concerned with the beginning, the end, or hereafter. We are only concerned about today. This letter left Jones with a number of problems. Because the students were members of prominent temple families, he knew he couldn't keep it a secret from the rest of the temple. Word was going to travel about it quickly, and it wouldn't be something taken lightly. He was left with no other option but to address the letter and acknowledge the defection to his people. Jones decided to bring the Gang of Eight letter up in a closed temple meeting. Jones spoke sadly of the eight students. He spoke of how they are now in the cruel world and that they would most certainly contact their family. And when they do, he wanted the family to tell them, quote, Father loves you. Father cares for you. Father says come home. Now what kind of an alliance are you going to have out there on the road with that kind of a mess? They're not going to be mess. not going to be much fun out there. That's why I say, sure, they'll kill each other. I'm, I'm terrified. So if they call any one of your phones, you tell them, Father loves you. Father cares for you. Father says, come home. Be peaceful. Come home and live peacefully like we do. We know what we're doing. Live peacefully. If you can't come home, be peaceful out there. Do you understand it? Get it down like I'm saying it. They never know which one of you there may contact because there are going to be some anxious people. I can see somebody in my mind's eye trying to steal away in the middle of the night. And I can see somebody standing over them with a gun. Always talking about temple violence. Don't you mess with these people talking about temple violence because the temple doesn't have any violence. I've never lifted a gun. We've never lifted a finger. I have never done anything but just like I did when Wayne wanted to even beat his brother. I rebuked him in the sharpest of terms. We're not beating anybody. We often blow up. If you don't blow in your mouth, you'd blow your head, I suppose. We'll have to even stop that. I don't want us to hear about beating nobody. Let's check each other. Just like I checked him, you just check each other. 
let's just somehow live with our frustrations because we are not going to be the beaters. Let the world beat each other to death. I'd rather be beaten like Stephen. I still look with admiration on Stephen who was stoned to death. I'd rather be the one stoned to death than get involved with this mess. I'm not going to live this way. I, I would prefer to be stoned to death. I don't know about you, but I'd prefer to be stoned to death than to get up into this stone sl slinging and this murder threatening and this violence threatening. I could tell you more, but I cannot go into it. Instead of speaking of anything detailed in the letter, he kept it short and sweet, that they are to be told how much they're loved and that they could have taken all the college fund money but chose not to, that they would be welcomed back with open arms should they choose to come back. At the end of the meeting, Jones planted an unusual seed that would become more and more of a common topic as time went on. We'll bring back people. We'll restore those that are lost. And we'll bring more people in. We'll move forward and do what we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good faith. Dollar says 100 for one. But whatever, I'll tell you, each of you count for a thousand to one. Because you are people who, upon whom the ends of the world have come. Wherever you are at, you're going to make history. And that ought to give you a sense of a good feeling, of depth character because we're going to make history it's destined to be now you may not like the kind of history we make we may be swinging through the sky <laughs> on a rope but we we're going to make we're going to make history but i'd rather go down as a john brown than a, who was that fellow that sold out nathan hale benedict arnold i don't know nathan hale i don't know these i don't know one of these american characters from another Jones goes on to say, quote, One's faith in anything is terribly shaken by anybody who is ready to go to the gallows condemning and denouncing it. And we can do that. We can shake people's faith and love of money and racism if we will be willing to go to the gallows for what we believe. I don't think we're going to the gallows, but I'm ready, aren't you? And the congregation stood and cheered. Though Jones took a softer approach in regards to the eight revolutionaries and their defection, he was determined to make it a point that it would not happen again, or if someone thought about leaving, he would make things a lot harder on them to be able to defect. Jones devised a system he put in place for the members of the planning commission. They were to sign blank pieces of paper so that he could write any confession he wanted and then he could display it in front of the other temple members, or even the police. This was his way to ensure that planning commission members would stay loyal. Jones also started to take the lead more during planning commission meetings, where he used to take a back seat. He made his demands very clear to planning commission members. He wanted them to crack down on anyone who showed any signs of straying from the temple. He also chose to crack down on temple punishments and up the discipline of members. Peter Watherspoon was a pedophile who was accepted into the People's Temple on the agreement from the beginning that any illicit act with a child would not be permitted. When a 12-year-old boy named Mark Cordell came forward with a report of Watherspoon engaging in a sexual act with him, Watherspoon was brought in front of the Planning Commission. Jack Beam, holding a rubber hose, ordered Weatherspoon to strip down naked and lay his genitals on the table in front of him. 
Beam proceeded to beat Wetherspoon's penis and scrotum repeatedly with the hose until they were swollen. Wetherspoon had to use a catheter and was put on bed rest for days after and was told that any other acts towards any children would wield a far worse punishment than what he had received. Why do you, you can avoid this shit you'd have confessed last night? Let her get it out. Let her get it out. She's the one who was raped. Let her get it out. Let her get it out. Hit him in the balls. Hit him in the balls. Hit him. Back off, back off, back off from her. Back off from him. Back off from him. Let him back. No, no, I don't mean her. Everybody get away. Let him, let him loose. Let her loose. So people can see. Everybody down. Everybody down. Everybody down. Let her get out. Some people could see. There have been others raped out there. There have been others raped out there. Get down, you fuckers. Get down. Hold on to your precious balls that you put into little babies. All you better look to decide you want to rape a child. You better look real well. We'll, we'll gladly stand up to face anybody about this. And Guyana will back us up in it. Hit him again. Stupid as Hit him again. Hit him again. Hit him again. Stand up. Stand your fucking ass up. Stand your goddamn ass up. I get to your fucking ass. You better stand up. Young man, think about her. Think about her. We're doing you a curative process now. You think about how you held her down. Think what you were doing, what you were screaming. Hit him again, and you think about it. Think about it. Think about her having her poor little body under yours, a little child. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Charles Gary said that was wonderful. Even a psychiatrist said our technique was excellent on a man when we did that before. Okay. Okay. Let's drop your pants. Drop your pants. Now turn around. I don't want to see it. That thing you throwed in her? A child? Okay, now. Now. Hey, let go, let go, let go, let go. Now put your pants up. That's why it's so swollen, too. And big. Now you got a big one. 
Now you got the biggest one in town. You feel good? No, Dad. Open your head up, open your eyes, and look at Dad. You because you got in trouble before. And you're just a little asshole. That's right. Same dumb shit. It's swollen five times or six times its size. I hope by God you remember it. I will, Dad. The last guy remembered it. And it was a little bit harder than you got. Lori Efren committed no acts against the temple, but was called upon the planning commission. Jones called her in front of everyone and asked her to explain what she had to offer him, then demanded she remove all her clothes. Jones claimed that Lori wanted to sleep with him, and he didn't feel the same way. Lori claimed later that this was not the case, and that she never had any desire to sleep with Jim Jones, but he continued to harass her, along with other planning commission members. He demanded that she said she wanted Jones to die and made her stand naked for the remainder of the meeting, which lasted hours. This kind of punishment was not just for planning commission members. It was given out to any temple member for breaking rules such as misbehaving in school, smoking, or exhibiting bourgeois behavior. Punishments ranged from extra cleaning duties to the new favorite of Jim Jones, boxing matches. The person being punished would be instructed to stand against their opponent, usually someone much tougher and larger. Sometimes they would have to box against more than one person. Onlookers would cheer and Jones would sit back and laugh or throw insults at the person while they were boxing. He would let the boxing match continue until he saw that the punishment was carried out to fit the extent of the crime. I get. I must be losing track of it. I thought I was doing better. I tried to hold my tongue, but it wasn't good enough. I don't see why you can't keep your hands down. I don't know you're saying anything. I come. You can't keep your mouth shut and do your work, huh? How come you can't keep your mouth shut and do your work and stay off of? Keep your mouth shut and do your work. Right. You can't do the right thing, say the right thing, or do the right thing. Dad gave you a chance. Dad gave you time. Come on, Laura. God damn, when you say something, pick up shit. Okay. Hurry up. All right, I talk. Um, I talk too much, I should be absolutely quiet because I know I lose, I try to be too bossy and saying anything at all. I just lose, I just um, am bossy. Boy, you like, you like to get beat on. We don't like to see it. You're in the goddamn middle of the night, midnight. I know. Some members said nothing about the new cruel punishments being handed out. And for those who had a problem with it, they found they had a very hard time in trying to leave the people's temple. One of the biggest problems with defecting was money. All assets, including paychecks, were going directly to temple funds. If a person will want to leave the temple, they would have no money to start a new life on. They would also have to worry about keeping their job outside of the temple, as many jobs were given to temple members because of the temple's affiliations with local businesses. Most temple members had no contact with their families outside of the people's temple, 
as it was discouraged to have contact with outsiders. So many of these people hadn't spoken to their families in many years. Also, Jim Jones had a new rule he put in place, and that was if you decided to leave the People's Temple, you had to move 500 miles outside of any temple church. If you chose not to, Jim Jones and the People's Temple would make life very hard for you. Starting in 1973 and into 1974, Watergate and Nixon became one of Jones's favorite new warnings for his members when it came to his quote, crisis mode. Jones would compare Nixon to Hitler and warn members that even after his impeachment that he would not go quietly, that he and his Nazis were out to get all the poor people, especially African Americans, that concentration camps were inevitable, that even though nuclear war was still a major factor to worry about, this new impending doom was going to come first, and that he had found a solution for him and his people to escape the threat of concentration camps, the threat of this dictatorship, the threat of impending nuclear war, and this answer to all their problems was the promised land. can take you where there'll be no more racism, where there'll be no more division, where there'll be no more class exploitation. I know just the place. Oh, yes, I do. And you won't have to, and you won't have to worry about getting angel wings if we get our own plane. Promised Land is a cool-down media podcast. All audio clips for Promised Land come from the Jonestown Institute. For more information, visit their website at jonestown.sdsu.edu. Follow us on social media at Promised Land Cast and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.